it doesn't matter what you do it's there's always going to be a moment where it's going to challenge you and, and you're going to face adversity and you're going to be asked you know how badly do you want this and it's those moments where you know you're faced with the challenges and that adversity that you have to ask yourself like do I really want to do this and and when you find that passion when you find that determination and that, that desire and you know like hey this is going to be it like I want to achieve this and I will do absolutely everything I can in my power to do so you will do it it just is a matter of when from Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share candid chats on all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebulagen. Tia Claire Toomey-Orr is now the most dominant CrossFit athlete in history after being crowned fittest on earth for the sixth year in a row. And while there have been rumours that this year might be her last competing, Tia tells us she isn't quite done yet. I caught up with Tia from her home in Nashville to talk about creating her dream life, the mindset that got her there, plus the training, nutrition and recovery it takes to become the fittest on earth. I've got to say, while I was doing my research on you, I think the most surprising thing that I discovered was that you weren't necessarily the kid who finished first. And you were okay with that because back then for you, the focus was never on winning, but on being better than you were previously. Now, where do you think that mindset came from at such an early age? You know, it's one of those things that I think I I try and understand a lot, especially like where I am right now in my career. It's really based about everything I do is to be standing on top of the podium. And so, you know, to have had that like complete mental switch and, you know, trained and educated myself on the importance of you know, applying myself, you know, in a, in a different way, essentially, because like, I look back on, on my journey. And even from when I could remember when I was tiny, you know, and just doing different sports with like mom and dad helping me and coaching me, I always gave it my best. There was never shortcuts. I never, you know, took the easy option or anything like that. And for me growing up, I just loved competing and doing different sports and constantly getting better and and getting more skillful. And, you know, like for me, the winning part was actually being good at everything, you know? So from like playing tennis to playing netball to, to running, to swimming, to also, you know, dabbling in gymnastics a little bit. I also, you know, did uh, touch football and being like really coordinated with, you know, not just like with the racket and also, you know, hand-eye coordination, but also, you know, being able to kick a football and do so many different sports and be so good at them. You know, like in my eyes, it was all about, you know, being the best on the field or like, you know, the best all-round athlete versus being really good at one particular sport, if that makes if that makes sense. And I think that I guess like the inspiration and where I kind of got that drive from was my parents when they, you know, educated me or showed me the importance of always trying something different because, 
in the way they would always like, you know, try and explain it to me, it, it was so important to widen your horizon, you know, not be narrow minded in one particular thing and just be very open minded with so many different things that, you know, you do so that you could really understand one, who you are as a person and what you really enjoy. But also too, like, you're able to really widen your eyes and really see what what there is out there in the world. Because, you know, every day, I'm even like learning so many other different sports that as as an Australian young female growing up, I, I never even knew some of these sports that ever existed. And you know, like the the true emphasis on, on the Summer Olympics in Australia versus the Winter Olympics, it's so crazy for me. Like it was such a big deal for me to to try and help Australia qualify a spot to the Winter Olympics this year because when I grew up, I never even knew it existed, you know? And so it's like small things like that that I think are, it's what's allowed me to be really um, adaptive when it comes to different sports and different opportunities and open-minded to it rather than, you know, shutting, shutting those types of things down and just solely focusing on the one thing. And then I think that that's also what really drew me to CrossFit. There is such a vast variety of fitness domains and, you know, fitness disciplines that it requires of you. And so it's always, expanding my horizon and and challenging me in a way that I never thought was possible. So going back to your parents really being the ones who who planted this idea into your head. Do you remember like seeing what they did, like seeing how they lived this idea out practically that really stuck with you? You know, I think for those that haven't, you know, read read my book or, you know, don't really know know me or aren't familiar with some of my background. Uh, I grew up on a like cane farm on the Sunshine Coast, just off the coast. And, you know, mum and dad, like they, every day they were up early, you know, working the land, growing sugar cane and just working really, really hard. And, you know, for me, they weren't necessarily in sports per se. Um, I, I always heard stories about how, you know, my my mum could run circles around dad and, you know, my, my dad was such a great swimmer and a great surfer. And, you know, like if my dad wasn't around, he was out on the, in the ocean, you know, a bit of a, a, a water, water kid for sure. And so hearing like those cool stories about when my parents were kids, you know, it, it definitely allowed me to really, um, kind of aspire to do stuff like that. So when, you know, my mum and dad first showed me nippers and, growing up on the beach and and getting to go surfing and doing like, you know, flags on the beach with all the other kids and trying to beat them and and be as fast as possible. And then learning how to read the surf, all those things, you know, I just was so excited to learn because they're the things that my parents experienced when they were young. And obviously they grew up in a different generation. So it was more about, all right, you, you know, you grow up as a kid, you do really well at school and then you go and find a job and you need a qualification or you know, an an apprenticeship, just something to fall back on and make a living. Whereas like my generation, it's more about, you know, following your passion and and turning your passion into your job and and really embracing what you enjoy so that you don't have to work a day in your life. So that, I think that that was definitely, you know, listening to those stories and and hearing mum and dad talk like that made me realize like the importance of finding what it was that really made me kick and made me really happy. And then, you know, running with that and seeing what was, 
what was out there. You know, I obviously growing up, you know, you see the Olympics and you're like, wow, like I want to be on the at the Olympics representing Australia and being on the world stage. At the time, I always just thought that that would be in track and field. But eventually, you know, once I came across CrossFit and then weightlifting was a thing, when I found weightlifting and, you know, happened to be very strong, it just was, you know, I just needed to make sure that like my technique was right there. In a way, I kind of felt like weightlifting had chosen me and and then I got this opportunity to go to the Olympics, so I ran with it. So I didn't necessarily plan every part of this career choice or, you know, what my, my journey has been like. I've just kind of run with it, but I've definitely been eager to take those opportunities as soon as they've come my way and and really kind of not be scared to take those opportunities and not be scared that it's not going to work because at the end of the day, like if you don't go out and and you don't take those chances, then you're never going to know. And I think it's so easy to always take the safe option and, and always try and be responsible. But sometimes it's, you know, those moments that are, you know, do I take the safe option where, you know, I know I'm going to have a really good nine to five paying job versus, okay, this could either make or break me, but I'm going to see how far I can go and I can, I want to see if I can make it work. Yeah, I just was able to do that. And, you know, it definitely helped when my mom and dad would try and help educate me on the importance of, you know, going after things that scared you and, you know, not shying away from the fear that maybe drew some reluctant, you know, um, persuasion or, you know, actual purpose to to go out and, and achieve it. Now I was thinking for our listeners who are still kind of like grappling with the idea of facing their fears, can you take me through one specific example of a decision that was kind of kind of veering on the should I actually do this side and how you ended up deciding to go for it? I feel like I've kind of, I've experienced them, you know, throughout my life, but th- this one particular moment has definitely allowed me to be a little bit more daring throughout my life because now I know no matter what happens, I'm never going to allow myself to fail. And that doesn't mean, you know, like I don't, I don't fall short of my goal. Like maybe I do fall short of my goal, but I know that I'm able to still keep pushing the next time and and I'm still going to keep chipping away and, and still pursuing that until I achieve it, if that makes sense. So back in 2014, he wasn't my husband at the time, but my husband, Shane, who is my coach, and you know we've been together for 15 years now, we, we just moved to a place called Gladstone and that is where we actually discovered CrossFit. And I had just like secured a a job. I'd been in this job for about two years. It was as a lab technician. So not my dream job at all, but it was a very comfortable, very secure job in the lab. It covered and helped me with Medibank private. It allowed me to um, work half a year. So, you know, we would do shift work, which was day and night shifts. But essentially, I would only be working six months of the year, you know. Um, So really, this is like the dream situation uh, for retirement. And then, you know, I came across CrossFit and I had this potential opportunity of, you know, qualifying or having a chance to qualify for the Olympics. And I remember this coach that was trying to help Shane and I 
kind of take that next step into our training. And, you know, at the time, Shane and I were like, who is this guy? You know, he, he doesn't even know us with a buy a bar of soap. And here he is saying that we could, you know, qualify for the Olympics. So we, you know, we're like, well, if he's going to take a chance on us, like we might as well hear him out and, you know, put a little bit of effort in. So we, we would, you know, do the necessary steps, start training. And, and I was really progressing. Like I was quite determined to, to make this thing happen. But I remember him saying like, hey, you need to, if you want to go all in, you need to like actually leave your shift work because this night shift, it's not helping with your recovery. You know, there's some stresses in, in work and, and, you know, life essentially that are not helping and, and not contributing to a positive training environment. And so if you really want to go all, all in, you, you need to like make that sacrifice. And I was like, all right, well, that's a bit crazy because, you know, to turn away a job that I've only been in for two years and, you know, this is so secure, like I'm on very good pay for, for someone that, you know, hasn't finished her uni degree or anything like that. And I probably sat on this for eight months, you know, it, it wasn't like an overnight thing for sure. But I was like, at, at that eight month mark, I was like, you know what, I'm making this change. I'm doing it because everyone around me, I feel like is putting in the effort that they need to. So I need to meet them plus more. And I handed in my resignation letter. You know, I made sure that like, if this didn't work out well, I always left, you know, my street clean and, and said, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, if this doesn't work out, I would really love to come back and, and try and get my job back if that was possible. But that was smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always made sure that I always uh, left that door open and they, they had a, a positive experience with me. So I guess like that was on the back of my mind, like, hey, worst case scenario, if I have to come back, like it's not guaranteed, but they know my work ethic. They, they know who I am and hopefully it could give me a bit of an advantage to, you know, get a job again. But came to my last day, I was like, I am not failing at this. Like I am going to make sure that this happens because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like your livelihood depends on it. And if you can do your absolute best to like not accept anything but achieving that and, and you know, accomplishing that, you're never going to fall short of it and you are going to make it. Like when your back is up against the wall, and you need to figure something out, you're going to, your instincts are going to kick in, you know, you're going to do what you need to in order to make it work. And so that, you know, you still have like a roof over your head, you still have, you know, your family and friends around you, you still can feed yourself. And that's essentially what happened. I said, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to work so hard at this, and I'm going to do absolutely everything that I have to in order to make this a thing so that I do not have to go back and ask for my job back. And before I knew it, oh my God, like I didn't just qualify for the Olympics, but I came second at the CrossFit Games and, you know, at the CrossFit Games, they pay you money. And so like I was, I was actually starting to find other ways to generate revenue. Being in Australia, I will admit, you know, being a sponsored athlete, especially in a smaller sport like CrossFit, uh, I wasn't as accessible to, to brands. So sponsorships weren't really a very popular thing. You know, I didn't really get paid or anything like that. So like winning and, and having that prize money was really the golden ticket that financially helped uh, Shane and I. And obviously my, my husband, Shane, he had his own job as well. So 
his job literally funded and, um, you know, essentially I like to joke about how Shane sponsored me, you know, through <laughs> my first half of uh, this whole career. You know, like, that, and that kind of comes back down to, like, you know, the team that you have around you, right? So, like, I've always just had a very supportive husband that's been there. And not only has he been able to financially support the both of us, but he also was there coaching me and, you know, supporting me both in the gym and outside the gym and, and wearing all those hats. So I was very, very fortunate for that. You know, I kind of just accepted nothing but actually achieving what I originally wanted to achieve. And, and I did that plus some. It's quite amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So you spoke earlier about, you know, when you're in those moments when you have your back up against the wall, knowing that you can get through it. Is this something that you've learned over time or is this something that's just inherent in your nature? You know, I think to an extent, it's something that you're brought up on in, in a way. But like, you know, as you're a child, you don't realize like the struggles that your parents truly go through, you know, like uh, when I was a kid, because my parents were just so active, they always had me doing things, being outside. I I never even knew of this like, wow, like my, my parents like, you know, work so hard to support obviously our family and also provide, you know, these opportunities for me. I didn't realize that there was, you know, like money that was involved and, and our external stresses of that matter. But, you know, I think when, when you grow up and, and there's something that you just really want to achieve, it's just something that happens, right? And I mean, I don't know this because I'm not a mother, but I mean, when people begin to start a family and, you know, you always and often hear about how parents, they're like, wow, we have no idea what we're going to do. But that internal feeling and, and that, that motherhood and fatherhood and parenthood that you experience, it's like it's an instinct that just automatically happens as soon as you have that child. And, you know, that instinct kicks in and then all of a sudden you kind of know what you're doing, right? Like that that's the story that people tell. Yeah. And I feel like it's a very similar situation when it comes to when you know that like, hey, you're off achieving something that people have told you that that's not possible or you're out there doing just something that's out of the ordinary, you know? And, and this can be like so broad, right? Like it could be a uni degree that you're, you're going off and, and trying to achieve. It could be like I did, like embarking on a sporting adventure and trying to accomplish things that no one thought possible. You know, coming up with the, just a world-renowned art, it doesn't matter what you do. It's, there's always going to be a moment where it's going to challenge you and, and you're going to face adversity and you're going to be asked, you know, how badly do you want this? And it's those moments where, you know, you're faced with the challenges and that adversity that you have to ask yourself, like, do I really want to do this? And, and when you find that passion, when you find that determination and that, that desire and you know, like, hey, this is going to be it. Like, I want to achieve this and I will do absolutely everything I can in my power to do so, you will do it. It just is a matter of when. Like I said earlier, it, it may not happen in a year. It may not happen in two years, but it will happen because you are so hungry to achieve it and you're so, you know, determined to, to make it possible that nothing's going to stand in your way. And those instincts when your your back is up against the wall, 
it just naturally kicks in and, and you you don't think of these things being sacrifices. You just think of it, it's a part of the process. And, you know, I think that that's something that when people want to like understand, like, how do you just go about it? It's like, well, firstly, you have to find your passion. You have to find your why on why you want to go out and do that thing. And once you do that, once you've found that core reason, then like, my goodness, that the world is your oyster. (laughs) And it sounds harder than what it is, but it's like, once you do, once you do realize that, and once you find that niche, my goodness, like, it's like you grew a pair of wings and, and, you know, you just run with it, essentially. Well, I think you made a really good point there is that it doesn't necessarily have to happen within a short period of time. And I think this is a big reason why people give up on their dreams so quickly is because when they give it a go, that first result isn't like the big dream result they they were after. And so they're like, okay, screw this. I'm done. I'm not even trying anymore. Yeah. But the difference you're saying is, is that, you know, you keep on going. And that's what I noticed say in your book. So you going back to your school days, you talk about your first cross country race. And I think you came second or third. Yeah. Um, and how that was a, you for you is like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Didn't even train. Imagine what I could do if I did train. <laughs> and it reminded me of when I was in school, I think I was in year five or year six when I did cross country, um, I came third and got to go to um, regionals. But my my thing was, is like, and then competing in that, I think I ended up coming 10th. And I was like, I overheard about everyone else training. And I was like, ah, oh, that's cheating. I can't believe all these people were preparing. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, it just never clicked in my head at that age that you could actually prepare for events like this. And so for me, it was like, oh, cross country is just this thing I do once a year when it comes up at school, not thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe I could actually be good at this and keep going. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that's where I was like, oh, I see the difference between Tia and me in this one (laughs) (laughs) one section of the book. Well, you know, uh, Lily, I'm sure for yourself, like there were so many other passions and, and interests that you had that you happen to be very good at cross country. But, you know, like what, what were your other interests or what were your main priorities when you were at school? You know, was it like arts or, you know, was there something else that you really kind of drew closer to? Definitely writing. I've always loved writing. That's my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which obviously makes so much sense. (laughs) So like, you know, that doesn't mean that like, yeah, you just wasn't, you weren't aware of it, but you had like a different talent. And, and, you know, I'm sure if you pursued your, your cross country, you would be absolutely killing it just like you are right now where, where you are in your world, in, in your writing world. And, and what you're doing. But isn't it fascinating? Like, you know, you have to start somewhere too. Like, I think that you bring up a really good point. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight, right? And so like, you have to start somewhere. And and I remember like, it wasn't necessarily my mom and dad who were like, yeah, you should train for cross country and athletics. It was like, it was actually my sports teacher in primary school who he was just so active and he had us in so many different things. You know, we would go to the Monday markets, you know, every Wednesday 
and, and Saturday morning and we would do fundraisers for the school where we would do jump rope for hard or, you know, we'd do like skipping routines and, and entertain people and raise money. We would, you know, go to local fairs. We would also run marimba classes or, or marimba shows. And, you know, he always had us in so many different little things, activities that it stimulated the kids and, and educated us on like, you know, you can do more than just be good at sports or be good at arts and, and music and, and bookwork and, and school, essentially. He was the one that encouraged and, and said, you know, like, we should do more training. And so, you know, he would have us doing running, like cross-country training and, and everything like that. And that's where it kind of opened my eyes up. And I was like, wow, I want to do more of this. And then that's where it kind of stimulated my mom and dad to help me out. And and then mom and dad were the ones that were like, all right, we, we, we don't just want to do swimming, uh, running. We also want to incorporate swimming because that's going to help your lung capacity. And, and then we're going to, you know, do different fitness and different sports to upskill your skill level. And, you know, it kind of formed from there. But you make a very good point how it just, you, you don't realize it if you just don't know, right? And it's a very fascinating process. Yeah. And it's amazing looking back, seeing how, all of your experiences have led to you being like so dominant in CrossFit. It's so cool. Well, I definitely put a lot of my success to the upbringing I had in Australia, you know, like just so many things like we're every year we're faced with some different obstacle. There's always something that we have to adapt to as an athlete in the competition. And I truly, you know, dedicate the my ability to be adaptive to everything that I did when I grew up in Australia. Now, speaking of your successes, we need to take a moment to just recognize how amazing you are at CrossFit Games. You recently won your sixth Games, which is the most number anyone has ever won, which is amazing. All hail Tia. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What drove you in the lead up to the last games, considering you were already like you were already quite dominant. You already had one five five games. What keeps you going like to say, hey, I'm gonna try and get this sixth one? It's really interesting because it's not like I'm that much more happier, you know, than winning six than five. It it really has nothing to do with that. It I think it comes down to knowing that I'm capable of more. You know, every year I'm getting better. And, you know, you would always think like after winning three or four times in a row, you're like, wow, like, can I get that much better? You know, like, is, is that even possible? And I even watch and look at other athletes and I'm like, damn, how, how come you're still struggling at that movement? Or, you know, like, why, why are you not evolving? Like, what are you doing differently that to me that, you know, I, I genuinely know and feel that I am fitter, I'm faster, I'm stronger than what I was this time last year. And when you confidently know that and, and you're, you've put in the work for that, then there's just no other reason than why not go for it, you know? And I also think, you know, a part of me, as, as much as I would like to think that I'm very supportive and, and I really believe that sportsmanship is just like, it's crucial to the sport that we do. And, and, you know, for me, I, I couldn't be more supportive of my competitors and, and more appreciative of my competitors. And I mean this with a lot of respect, but I also, I want to be the most dominant CrossFit athlete of all time. And that is 
from past time to current time to the future. I don't want that to come across very like cocky or, you know, confronting or, you know, in a bad way. It's just, I've worked so hard that I want my legacy to live on long after I have competed and and actively competed in the space. And so if I can get one more championship or, you know, one more notch to my belt, essentially, I feel like it just makes it that much harder for people to chase. And I just want to be the absolute best. So does this mean you're going after a seventh? (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, It's definitely possible, you know, never say never. And I know that there's a, a bit of speculation and there's a lot of conversation about how this was my last year and, and everything. And and truthfully, you know, like I, I definitely throughout the season thought, wow, you know, after such an emo- emotional roller coaster with bobsled and, and how the criteria and, and the selection process went down for the Olympics um, this year, going straight into CrossFit and trying to get through the CrossFit season, it was a very tiring and emotional season. And so I definitely felt like, you know, this could definitely be it. So, you know, like I want to make sure that like every time I step on the floor, like you step on the floor and you compete like it's your last, you know, every time I'm going through a new cycle throughout the season, you know, you put in that right amount of effort because like this could be your last training cycle ever. And I, I definitely would be lying if I said that, no, it, it didn't cross my mind. Like when I when I crossed the line, I, I was like, you know what, just, just embrace it because you don't know what the future holds. And, and I really felt like I did. But I will admit there's a part of me that thinks, you know, like why not do another year? I've definitely, you know, throughout my career, I've always been very conscious of setting myself up so that I could retire whenever I wanted. That doesn't mean just financially. That means more like, you know, what am I going to do? Like I am 29, so I'm 30 next year. I can't just physically like retire and not do anything for the rest of my life. You know, I I don't think I'm going to live a fulfilling life if that was the case. So it's like, okay, you know, what am I going to do after competition that I'm going to be happy and, and feel that joy and, you know, be able to do what I want to do, whether it's helping people you know, or, you know, whatever. And I have been able to create or or there are so many things that I could fall back on and, and, you know, make that a priority. But like, I I have to tell you, I I don't know if I want to do that yet, you know? And so it's like, that question makes me think, well, maybe I still have a little bit more in me. And so, you know, maybe I have another year in me. And, you know, I just need to make sure that like, when I sign up to the season that like I have that fire and that desire because I know regardless of what I'm going to do, I'm going to put put the work in and I'm going to make sure I stand up on top of that podium at the end of the season. But you still not just physically and mentally have to be there. You also have to be there emotionally. And that's something I've had to learn along the way. And no one ever talks about that. Everyone always talks about it. It's like a mental, it's a mental thing. It's a physical thing, but they don't actually talk about how emotionally involved and connected you have to be as well. So going back to that emotional connection, you mentioned how this last season was quite emotional for you after you qualified for the two women bobsleigh event and then weren't selected for the Winter Olympics. In those moments, how how do you manage them? What do you do to help yourself through? One, I think you have to take ownership. 
for me, it was so important that like I, I took ownership when it came to qualifying Australia a spot. And then when we weren't selected for it because there was other reasons for that, it made me think like immediately your emotions are like, that's unfair. That doesn't even make any sense. You know, we are the best two men sled in Australia. We are the ones that qualified the spot. We should be going to the Olympics and representing Australia. Like it just makes sense. Like the facts are the facts, right? You know, and you could ask so many other athletes that have been in the very, very same situation uh, in, in other sports. And I'm sure that they would have had the same emotions from the very beginning. But there's also a lot of politics when it comes to the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games and team selection and stuff like that. So with all that being in mind, it's like, well, Tia, you know, like I literally had to say, well, you should have done better, you know, and, and some people may think that that's a bit harsh, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know, like it wasn't necessarily my performance that let me down, which is really tough to, to kind of accept. But I do think back and think, wow, like we should have then positioned ourselves in a position that Australia couldn't help but send us, you know? So I felt like there was probably a couple of things that were left on the table that were somewhat out of our control, my control. And had I just had that nailed down, then I wouldn't have been in that situation. But again, you know, in a team sport and in a situation like that, like you can only do your best and you can only, you know, there's only so much that you can do. Taking ownership and then realizing that, hey, like it wasn't, your performance that yet let you down. It wasn't that you aren't good enough. So it's okay, you know, like your worth and, and you know, your efforts and, and your time and energy that you put into that, that doesn't define who you are as a person and your efforts. It's just a part of the process and it's it's just a part of the story that you're creating throughout your whole life and throughout your whole journey. And that's something that I had to really look back on because here I am trying to perfect absolutely everything in my craft. You know, when I look on my journey, I'm like, I want to learn from previous experiences and I want to, I want to be winning at everything. But sometimes it just doesn't go your way. And, you know, it makes for a better story and you have to be okay with that. And then, you know, apply what you learned throughout those experiences and use that as fuel and, you know, motivation to make sure that you put in even more effort into the CrossFit season for 2022. And so that's the type of thing that I did. And, you know, it it wasn't just hard on me. It was also hard on my husband, Shane. Like he, he coaches me and he is by my side every step of the way. Like there is no supporting men like Shane, you know, and obviously that probably comes across very biased, but I mean, I'm very, very lucky to have someone so supportive and, you know, that wants to contribute and and help me, you know, embark on these endeavors. But I could tell that it weighed down on him because for him, he felt helpless, you know, like he could only do so much. And I think that that definitely played an effect on him. So, you know, this off season, just before the games, I actually had like a bit of a bad back injury. And, you know, two weeks before the games, I actually couldn't even get out of bed. Um, it was it was actually... Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Not something that I've actually really spoken or been quite open about just because, one, you know, I don't want... I never want to create excuses or anything like that. But 
we were we were going through a really hard time just before the game. So I did all the like the necessary treatment and and recovery protocols to really get my body moving and able to actually show up at the games. But now it's about actually like recovering my back and normally and traditionally I would do the Rogue Invitational, which is at the end of October, but I'm actually taking this off season as a complete off season. I have gone into the gym a, a little bit to start slowly moving the body because it's been over a month now. But um, it's all about making sure that I, I recover my back and get that back into, you know, fine form. And I'm really trying to also take a bit of a break mentally, physically and emotionally just to figure out, you know, okay, do we want to do another year? Do you find it hard taking a break? Oh my goodness, yes. So <laughs> it's so funny. Um, it's so hard because, you know, athletes are getting confirmed and announced on social media and you see it and you're like, dang, that should be me as well. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like I see some of Shane's other athletes that he also trains, they're also training at the moment and getting fitter. And I'm like, oh no, like, I just feel like I'm getting a little bit left behind, but it's so important that I actually be selfish and, and take that time for myself. It's funny. It's called the Rogue Invitational and Rogue is actually an equipment company If uh, for those that uh, aren't familiar with the company and they they actually sponsor me. So they're my equipment sponsor and they run this event and it's an annual event um, and it's, it's a fantastic, really, really fun event other than the, the CrossFit Games. I had to to message them and say, I can't even accept or decline this invitation. So it's it's definitely hard. So how does your what does it what's a typical day of training look like for you when you're preparing for a comp? Very curious. Every stage is a little different because we, we start with the open at the start of the season and that's a a lot more low key. So it's just a baseline of fitness and, and it's not a whole lot of stress or anything. And then when we go into more of an in-person competition, it starts to become a little bit more serious. We, we taper and stuff. But to give you a better idea of like leading into the games, obviously that's a very full-on schedule. And so about a month out from any competition, I will always dial in my nutrition to a point where I don't indulge in things that I really enjoy. So like I'm, I'm actually quite strict. I'm not, you know, strict to a point where I cut out um, like cheese or anything like that. It's more of like the sweets that I really, you know, um, like to indulge in. And that's more of like not just a physical thing and, and to help my recovery, but it's also more of like a mental check of like, oh, how bad do I really want it? Am I willing to sacrifice these delicious, you know, things that I enjoy to eat just for a month? to just make sure that I'm really doing all my one percenters outside the gym. And so, you know, like I'll eat a lot of wholesome foods and, and making sure that I'm actually eating enough foods because with the amount of training that we do, it's so important that I'm having enough calories. So to ensure that I'm having enough calories and, and able to do the training I do, these days, it's very, very different each day, but it's about nine to 13 hour days. Shane, Shane tends to say, you know, he, he finds that there's not enough time in the day to train and I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, there's too much time, <laughs> you know, in, in the day because like I just need a break. I just need a rest. Um, it gets really full on. So we would, you know, wake up and we would start the day with 
like either a, a morning swim or a, a track session. There could be like a conditioning piece, which is more like an endurance. So we could be on a rower or um, they call it an echo bike. We could even go for a bike ride outside on the road or even mountain biking. Because CrossFit is so broad, we have to really try and do a lot of different things. But it's always a little bit more single modality. So just like focusing on one particular component. And that lasts for about, you know, an hour of 90 minutes. Then we would um, have a bit of a break. Every break that we have, we're always like having food in between. And then we would head to the gym. And the gym is obviously where we primarily train. And that consists of a vast variety of things. So that can be from any kind of weightlifting where we're squatting, you know, we're doing things from the shoulder to overhead, we're taking the barbell from the ground to overhead, you know, doing a lot of weightlifting movements, a lot of complexes, which is a combination of weightlifting movements plus strength movements really dialing in the skill and technique, but also developing that strength and, and being on strength cycles. We also will do that for gymnastics movements. So building that level of body awareness and that skill, but also um, applying, you know, strength and foundation under those, you know, body weight movements as well. And then, you know, throughout that, it's all broken up into like eight to, to 10 pieces in the gym. And You know, that also includes a warm-up, of course, and a, and a bit of um, a cool-down and accessories because accessories are just – it's what keeps the body in a good health, right? So um, that's crucial. And then we also have what we call metcons or, or workouts, essentially, where we're really developing movement patterns, fitness levels, and, and to some extent, skill levels as well. But it's really about building that conditioning And, you know, getting that heart rate up so that you're getting comfortable with, you know, being a uncomfortable, essentially, that lasts for at least six to eight hours on a good day. Sometimes it de definitely goes over. And, you know, sometimes that's also broken up. We might even go outside and do a, a really long uh, running conditioning piece as well where we could be wearing a vest or a ruck. It's not just always body weight. And uh, throughout that whole session, we also like to dabble in, in, and make sure we're optimizing our recovery as well. So we, we sit in the um, ice bath and sauna and we will contrast and, and do that every, every so often. We definitely like to sauna a minimum of three times a week. And then we've kind of experimented a little bit with the ice bath. There's always new studies out you know, talking about how, you know, sometimes ice bars aren't great for you, but then um, other studies have, have proven that they are. And this year we actually dabbled in tallying or trying to accumulate 11 minutes throughout the week of, of ice bathing just to help with recovery. So we're, we're always trying to evolve and, and try new things and adapt and see what works for each athlete. Everyone's different. You know, for me, the sauna is really the key for me. Um, but for some people, the ice bath is, is where it's at. So it's a pretty full on day and doesn't really allow you to do anything else, but just train. <laughs> no. And then in the evenings, how do you wind down to, and then also be rested enough to then do it all again the next day? I mean, it's so important, right? Obviously, nutrition is so important throughout this period because 
if your body isn't getting the right amount of calories, it's never going to be able to feel rested or recovered. You know, when we get home, like, I mean, sometimes we're getting home at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. You know, I mean, sometimes we've walked in the door at 10. It, it's just, it depends. Sometimes we have to drive to a location, you know, for a particular bike ride and, and that just really draws the day out. But when we do get to come home, it's, we, you know, unpack, we have dinner and we just sit on the couch for about 30 minutes just to unwind, to try and chill out. And then, you know, we basically go to bed as soon as possible um, because I find that if I'm not getting nine to 10 hours of sleep at night, my body, it wakes up very stiff and very sore. You know, obviously there's like a lot of studies out about like seven to eight hours is, is optimal for a lot of people, but uh, we definitely need more when we're when we're putting our bodies through that much um, pressure. Yeah, you're basically doing the same amount of exercise that most people do in two weeks. You condense it into a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny because like throughout August particularly, you know, I don't go in the gym. Like I really have like a mental check from any physical activity. And in my eyes, I'm very unfit. I'm, you know feeling a little more on the overweight side, which is obviously not the case at all. But it, you know, you just don't feel your typical self. Yeah. And we laugh with people because it's they're like, wow, you're so fit. And I'm like, oh, no, not really. <laughs> but yes, compared to the rest of the planet. Yes, you still are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, to wrap up, I have a few quick fire questions for you. So basically the first thing that comes into your head. Ready? Okay. What's your favorite exercise? I'd say running. Oh, really? Running. Okay. What's your least favorite exercise? Uh, rowing. <laughs> <laughs> your go-to lunch? So I always love my mom's homemade sandwiches and that kind of consists of, you know, like a salad sandwich um, with, you know, like some fresh ham or um, even like an egg and lettuce sandwich. Um, Mum makes the best sandwiches. Oh, nice. What's your favorite food to indulge in? Oh, definitely chocolate. I, I love Cadbury chocolate, you know, even like chocolate biscuits, like Tim Tams. Oh my goodness. Like <laughs> it, it, that's what's been the hardest thing living in America, like is actually, you know, like just the, the sweets that we have back in Australia. There's just nothing over here like there is over in Australia. So for all the Aussies listening, please send Tim Tams to Tia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she, she needs a delivery. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, absolutely. The song that gets you pumped for a workout. Oh, it's definitely TNT, um, ACDC. I, I love, you know, some some classic rock and, you know, obviously I'm a bit biased because they're Australian too. The thing that you say to yourself when you need to dig deep. Well, this is a good one. For me, it's how you do one thing is how you do everything. And your advice for anyone too scared to try CrossFit? <laughs> Honestly, the hardest part is stepping in the door for the first time. You know, it, that's the most daunting thing because you probably don't even know anyone. You know, I just remember my very first time. I didn't know anyone. And, you know, just it, it basically took me a week to really start to feel it's okay to not know anyone because eventually you start to develop friendships and, you know, it starts to become a little bit easier and you start to understand you know, what these movements are called, like that's, that's a very daunting thing. 
it took me about six months to understand what a snatch was, you know? So like you all have to start somewhere and, you know, taking that first step and actually going to your local CrossFit gym will literally change your life. And I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm, I'm biased or anything. I'm, I'm genuinely saying that because it, it literally changed my life. And you don't have to be a CrossFit champion or anything like that when you step into this gym. It's just, it just will give you another perspective and another outlook on life. Mm. And it goes back to how we started the conversation with your parents, a very wise, very wise um, lessons of just, you know, trying lots of different things and seeing what you like. So true. So true. People, they, they had this like little bit of a stigma with, without going into too much detail. There was always a bit of stigma about how CrossFit was dangerous and, you know, people with injuries, you know, like they can't go there. But if you have a very good coach and you may have to go to a few different gyms to source out that really good coach, but they should guide you. They should educate you and, and help you every step of the way so that you aren't getting injured, so that you are really understanding and learning the movements before you're actually applying weight. And you're not going to get bulky or, or super muscly. I mean, I people I'm sure look at my video, my photos and videos and be like, wow, she's so ripped, you know, but it's taken me 10 years to get to that point. And if you see me in person, wow, like it, I'm not that big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually quite small. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, Tia. I feel very inspired and motivated by this chat. Oh, good. Thanks so much, Lizzie. I appreciate it. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted and produced by me, Lisa Gebelagen, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of our latest issue with Tia Claire Toomey Orr on the cover. You can find it on newsstands or online via Apple News Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thank you and see you next time.